Yes, 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 people. Echo Chamber is here. We've got six films. Little Bear's Big Trip, House Party, um, The Artifice Girl, They, they Clone Tyrone, right? Um, Cross of Iron and Rub. So you definitely want to be up on this one. Before we get to that, though, let's do what we do and check out the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 21st to the 23rd of July. So at number 10, still holding on, it's the Super Mario Brothers movie. Great from uh, Aaron Hoff and Michael Jelinek, written by Matthew Vogel, Chris Pat, Charlie Day, Anna Taylor Joy, Jack Black, Keegan Michael, Kevin Michael Richardson, all lend their voices to the piece. At number nine, another animated affair. This time from Kirk D'Amico and Fran Pearl, it is Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, which is written by D'Amico, along with Pam Brady and Elliot DiGiuseppe. Tony Collette, Jane Fonda, Romana Young, Sam Richardson all give their voices over to the piece. Now, it was an animated film. Now it's a live action. I'm talking The Little Mermaid, which is at number eight this week. So Rob Marshall directs. He co-writes with David McGee and John DeLuca. Hale Berry, Jonah Hire King, Melissa McCarthy, Javier Bardun, Jude Akawaitik, all star. So that means, people, we are at number seven, and we're back to the animation with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Okay, so Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, Justin K. Thompson, direct... Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and David Callahan Wright. We got Shamik Moore, Halle Stansfield, Oscar Isaac, Jake Johnson, Isa Ray, Brian Tyree Henry. Just a few of the crazy talents giving their voices to the characters. So at number six, it's the fifth iteration of the Insidious series, right? The Red Door. This is directed by Patrick Wilson and written by Scott Teams and Lee Wannell. We've got Rose Bryan, Patrick Wilson, Ty Simpkins, Haim Abbas, Lynn Shane, all starring. So that means we're in the top, top, top five people. And at number five is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yes, yes, yes. James Mangold directs. David Coop, John Henry Butterworth, and Jez Butterworth write the script. Harrison Ford, 
Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mickelson, Boyd Holbrook, Antonio Banderas, John Rhys-Davis, All-Star. So at number four, it's another animated affair. Right, it's the latest Pixar joint. It is Elemental from Peter Sohn, and it is written by Kat Lickle, John Hoberg, and Brenda Hoosh, Lee Lewis, Mamadou Afi, Ronnie De La Carmen, Shelley Omi, all give their voices across. Right at number three, it's the latest Tom Cruise mission joint. It's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. So, Christopher McCreary directs and co writes with Bruce Geller and Eric Jerdison. Rebecca Ferguson joins Cruise, Halle Atwell, Pom Khalif, Shay Wiggum. Vanessa Kirby, Rob Delaney, Simon Pegg, and others in this latest adventure. You know what the top two are, right? We have got the latest Christopher Nolan joint, Oppenheimer, at number two. He co-writes with Kay Bird and Martin Sherwin. So we've got Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Josh Harnett, Florence Pugh, just to name a few. So, at number one, of course, it is Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie. She co-wrote with Noah Bamberth, and it's starring Margaret Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Kingsley Ben-Adieu, Harry Neff, Arena Greenblatt, Aaron Millen, and it features a load of the BAME models, right? We spoke to Marcus Fleming recently, so you know what that's all about. All right, people, so that's the UK Top 10. So I think it's time to get into this week's films, right? Let's So we are jumping off with a little Bear's Big Trip. Right, aka Big Trip to Special Delivery. Okay, so Signature sent me across this new kids' film. So I am looking at it so parents don't have to. Right? Well, they get an informed decision. They get a decision, right? <laughs> it's Little Bear's Big Trip. Um, now, this, it looks like it's actually a sequel, right? And I think the first one was just called Big Trip, right? Because when you go on IMBD, this film, it's not called Little Bear's Big Trip. It's called Big Trip 2 Special Delivery. So, uh, yeah. There you go. It's also, and I think you can just tell from, uh, you know, the the voice cast. It is a Russian film, right? Um, it's been dubbed. 
don't worry people you'll be able to understand it yeah so the film is directed by natalia nilova and vasily rovensky who also co-writes with pavel vinagradov the film is produced by Gen Vasilili Ravansky. He's wearing three hats, it would seem. Um, Roman Boskovich and Joraj Babos. Music is handled by Ivan European, Anton Grazalov, and Igor Babarev. Fedor Mezantziv, cinematography. Production design is Svetlana Tolskinina. Visual effects, Dmitry Shalev. Right. Um, and our voice cast. Well, Mick Mick is voiced by Daniel Medvedev. Right, his best friend Oscar is voiced by Stephen Thomas Uchna. We have got um, ooh, who have we got? Panda, voiced by Arthur Cook. Right, John Grizzly is voiced by Brody Evan. Mary Grizzly is a couple of voice by Kate Lane. Um, there's Don Vulture, voiced by Bernard Jacobson. Billy, voiced by Jordan Worsley. Um, Carl is voiced by David Andrew Groot. Uh, there's Arnold, uh, Big Hyena, and an Elk, voiced by Andrea. Kurganov. Um, do, do, do. Mrs. Panda, voiced by Jacqueline Vuga. Do, do, do. Mr. Panda is voiced by Sassy Orin. And Doug Vulture is voiced by Josh Wilson. So, um, yes. What is the English voice cast? Um, oh, Michaela. Michaela and Squirrel are voiced by Liza Kilmova. Right, so the gist of the story is this. It's been a year since a it has been a year since Mick Mick and Oscar returned from their incredible adventure. And now, after a diabolical plan by Vulture to sabotage the delivery of the Grizzly Cub to his opponent in the American presidential elections, Mick Mick, Oscar, Panda, Teenager, and Stalk. Set off on another great adventure as they ride a zeppelin to return little grizzly to its rightful parents, save the American elections and the whole continent from the erupting volcano. 
Um, yeah, that volcano bit comes left field because there's no volcano. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Oh my god, this. <sighs> Listen, animated films are always one of those things, right? Because you get a whole heap of big stars, and a lot of times they're not really acting, they're just being themselves, right? So it, it just seems a bit rubbish, right? It can be a bit weak because there's no acting. It's just, you know, whoever, whoever, flavor of the month, talking, yeah? So it's always, you know, a good one when people actually are selling that they're, a, you know, a talking parrot or whatever, whatever, you know what I mean? But bad voice acting, it is, oh, it's the worst, right? You, you get it in bad audio books, you know, animation, like whatever it is, computer games. And I do, I do feel it's more on the directors than the cast. Right, because you'll hear something, you know that does not sound good, right? You know that will sound off, but you'd be like, oh, great, next. Now, the thing with this, because it's a Russian film, you wonder who directed the British, you know, the English language voice cast, right? That That's the big question here, who... Who directed them? Because we the the performances just come off really flat, right? There, there's not the energy, the, 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 you know. And I'm not saying there needs to be energy like, "Hey guys, how are you?" No, 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 no. But just sell me. This is a fucking bear. You know what I mean? Just sell it to me. And you're not being sold, right? And you just get these, and this is the script. This isn't the voice cast, but these things that, that you just get repeated so many times. All right, once, twice, fine. But you're going, you're trying to go back to that world so many times. It's painful, right? It, it, you've got Mick Mick in the snow for ages, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, there's some snow fell on it, you're just going, oh, now he thinks it's time to hibernate, and it's just like, wait, why now, he's been in this for ages, and, but now is the time, like, what are we doing here, you know what I mean, and it's just this stupidness, that, it, it just, I mean, this isn't for adults, Right, this definitely is not for adults. Because you have got things like Zootopia, Ice Age. You know what I mean? Just all of these things. Right, when you look back at the old school stuff, Kissy for DuckTales, right? Like, there's just so many good versions of this. So when something that's just, mediocre comes along it's just like why right why bother 
I, I think maybe little kids, right? Three-year-olds might enjoy it. I do kind of feel that anyone over, probably over five, is just going to be like, huh? Can we just watch Pixar again? You know what I mean? One of their films. Can we just do that? Right? It, it, it just felt long, right? It's, gosh, I mean, it's like about just over an hour and a half. Felt way too long. And you just think it doesn't need to be this length. Because they kept on putting these random things in there that just seemed to be like, what? What? Huh? What are we doing? Right? I don't know where this ice part is. You're assuming it's Alaska. But from there to then this other part, you're just like, wait, you're just saying it's five minutes away. That's how it's looking. But there's no way it could be. Right? Did locations make no sense? Just the things people are doing make no sense. You have got these animals in this wood that you just like, these animals would not be in a wood. What? Like, put animals in a wood that would be in a wood. There's plenty you could go from. Right, if you're looking at woods and you know Amazon forests, rainforests, that kind of thing, you've got a lot to choose from. There's a lot. So when you see elephants and penguins in a wood, you're like, what? What? What the fuck is happening here? This is ridiculous. And in America, like, what? What are we doing? This makes no sense. This is just lazy. It's just lazy. You know? And you have this weird, you know, the whole anima full pick. I feel I mashed that word up. You know, giving an animal human traits. Right? So when they get scarves, just a little thin scarf. Right? And you just say, if you're saying they're cold, a scarf ain't warming them, right? Mate, just, ah, they've all got fur. They're not getting cold like that. What are we saying? This is ridiculous. You know, this is just the whole stalk thing. And just, man, there's, there's just a lot. This film's a lot. It was painful. It was painful for an adult to watch this. Now, as I said, I think a little kid might well enjoy it. A little kid. But I think you have to ask yourself, right, if you are looking to take your kids to see this film, um, what do they like, right? What's the animation that works for them? You know? Do they watch something like Hotel Transylvania and going, eh, I'm a bit old for this, right? Are they more a cloudy with a sign of meatballs? Hmm? What's their jam? Are they an Ice Age fan? Are they, you know, what do they find engaging? And that will tell you what, if this is, you know, something that will grab them. Because it 
is, you know, it is paint by numbers. It's not reinventing the wheel, not trying to do anything new with a storyline. Like they they've basically taken loads of different stuff and tried to mash it all together here. So yeah, watch your kid enjoy, right? If they enjoyed, what was it called? I think my fairy, ugh, my tooth fairy troublemaker. I think that was the title. We looked at it like about three weeks ago. If that's their gem, right? If they dig that, then Little Bear's Big Trip might well be for them. You know, so you just have to look at it like that. Parents, think what does your kid like? And that will let you, you know, decide whether you want to put them in front of Little Bear's Big Trip. That's the question, people. That's the question. Next up, people, it is the latest iteration of the House Party franchise. House party. Hey, yo, people, sometimes, right? Sometimes you throw something on and then you realize, ah, shit, maybe I shouldn't have done this, right? Ugh. But hey, shit happens, right? So I checked out the new version of House Party. So this is directed by Climatic. This was actually his feature directorial debut. You know, it was written by Stephen Glover and Jamal Alori. The film is then produced by... Um, LeBron James, Maverick Carter is executive, executive produced by Richard Brenner, Spencer Bailey, Jamal Henderson, Reginald Hudlin, Warrington Hudland, uh, Josh Mack, Victoria Palmieri, and Gretel Fumbly. Oak Felder handled the music, Andrew Hubuska, cinematography, Matthew Barbato edited the piece, Kim Coleman was down with the casting, production design, we have Scott Falconer, art direction, we have Francis Lynn Hernandez, uh, set decoration is Maya Levy and Laura Harper, right? Dercia Cole Washington costume design. All right. And our cast. Well, people, we have got Kevin, played by Jacob Lattimore. His best friend, Damon, it's Damon, right? But Damon, the French way, is played by Torsin Cole. There's Venus, right, who is played by Karen. Obelum, 
Uh, we have Vic, played by DC Young Fly. Um, Micah, uh, Venus, Venus's friend, is played by Shakira Janape. Uh, Larry is played by Melvin Gregg. Kyle, we have Alan Maladona. Gwil is played by Rotimi. Kid Cuddy's up in the police, right? You know, Scott Moschetto. We have Maya, played by Maya. Anna, played by Irie Soul. Um, Grace, played by Tamara Kissens. Peter was uh, Andrew Santano. It wasn't in it enough, I feel. All right, Sly is played by Chindu Unaka. Reg Jamar Malachi Neighbors, okay, aka Jamar Neighbors, the comic. Um, Gavin is played by Teddy Ray. Juan is played by Zeus Levy. Pops played by Bill Bellamy. Uh, Lisa is played by Nakia Burris. Aunt June played by Renata Walsh. Right, LeBron James by LeBron James. And then we've got a whole heap of other cameos and peoples up in the spot, right? So, now the gist of this. When a pair of down-on-their-luck house cleaners discover they're assigned to clean the mansion of LeBron James while he's overseas, they decide to make a life-changing decision to throw a giant party in a quest for immortality and some cash. As the party gets out of control and one of LeBron's championship rings goes missing, they will be launched into a wild night that they will never forget. So, yeah, there we go. Now, listen. <sighs> yeah, as, um, you know, if you've been following, if you follow every week, you know that white man can't jump, come calmatic second joint, I wasn't really a fan of, right, so, yeah, this, people, it's not for me, it's not for me, but, um, I think, right, if you are fans of stuff like uh, Bad Neighbors, right, those films, if you liked, um, well, it, obviously, if you liked White Man Can't Jump, the 2023 version, if you like you people, you know, if those films are for you, I will even throw in House Party 3 for and five, I feel there was a five, right, it was like house party next level, something like that, you know, if those are your jams, then I think you will like this new iteration, you know, for me, right, everything is, like, the acting is fine, it's not going to win any awards or anything like that, it's the story that kind of vex me the most, right, just because we've just got these caricatures, 
You know what I mean? I'm like, yo, we, we could have these cats be different things this time out. You know what I mean? We don't have to fall to those same old, same old stereotypes. But that's not even the worst thing for me. Right? There was some elements of Highlander free here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> trying to recap just some of the moments from the first film. You know, the dance scene especially. They they just didn't have the same, you know what I mean? That 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 same energy, right? They didn't connect with you the same as in that original flick. I loved that original film, man. That was my joint. You know what I mean? Old Reggie Hudland killed it with the first house party for sure. So there was that, and then also. It, it, it had that, it was like the same as hustle and flow, my issue with that. And that was, he didn't, right, we saw no grind, right? It was just like, oh, I want to be a rapper. Oh, Ludacris has to take my tape. What? He won't take my tape. Like, yo, I've been around the scene for a while, you know what I mean? So back in the day, right, I was out. Every single night, right? You'd hit the open mic circuits and you would always see the same people doing their thing, grinding. And we did not see that out of Terrence Howard's character in Hustle and Flow. And this one, yo, my voice just went, woo. This one, you know what I mean? Was some similar shit because, you know, they're, they're, house cleaners, that's not the thing, that's fine, do you, you know what I mean, like, hey, it's about putting food on the table, do whatever the fuck it takes, you know, but we have him be like, oh, I've got to have 10 grand in two weeks for my daughter to go to school, now, this isn't something that's just been sprung on him, so, What's he been doing? How's he been trying to raise that money? Right? What's he been doing to elevate his situation to handle the business that needs to be handled? Right? We've not seen anything. And especially when we see, you know, the camera footage. Right? For someone who's like desperately needs this money, desperately needs this job, they're just fucking around. Right, and it's not just a, a simple fuck around, right? Because I think, listen, you're working hard, you can crack some jokes, you can do a ting a ting, you know what I mean? But they, what they were caught doing, you know, you were that that's not gonna wash, right? You know it, so why, why do it? You know what I mean? And the other thing. You're cleaning houses, right? And they're expensive houses. So you would know there are cameras all over the place. That's what was weird. It's like you would know there's cameras. You know what I mean? I'm, I imagine you were told in the interview. You know? So that makes no sense. And then it's like the whole Venus situation... Is that, that's a weird arc, it's a weird arc, 
right? They they take it from nowhere to somewhere. And it's just like, yo, what, what's happening with this arc, right? With this storyline. Because it just seems like you wonder if stuff was cut. You know, because look, stuff gets lost on the editing floor sometimes. So maybe there's different threads of that story that were, you know what I mean? Had to be left out for whatever reason. Maybe that's a thing. But yeah, it was just very random. The whole koala, random. There's just a load of things that seem to be thrust in to get laughs. But for me, um, yeah, I just wasn't laughing. You know, it, it just wasn't really funny. You know, like, I will say this. Cuddy was probably better than Bill and Ted's. And Bill and Ted's was whack. Right, so that's saying something. I mean, the best thing I've seen, well, one of the best things I've seen Cuddy in, because I know there's been some other things, and I cannot remember. But Enter Galactic, yo, that was fire. If you haven't seen Enter Galactic, go watch that film. It's so good, so good. I think we talked about it in something like two forty something. Right, I think so, maybe 239, 38, something like that. But yo, it's on Netflix. It's definitely worth a it's definitely worth a what it will be one of your favorite films, trust me, people. But yeah, you you had a load of different cameos that make no sense. Right? The whole Maya story arc again, weird, makes no sense. It's weird. So, yeah, that's the thing. But here's the big thing, right? You can definitely see a clear evolution in Kalmatic style from House Party to White Men Can't Jump. White Men Can't Jump was a far better directional tilt, right? You can see that he's le he learned a lot when putting that one together, so, you know, there's that, right, but as I say, people, if you enjoyed the latter house parties, right, if you enjoyed the Bad Neighbor series, you know, things like you people, if those are the, the comedic films, that you really like, then this new house party, this will be fine with you. This will work. So although not my jam, it very well may be yours. So yeah, there you go. And I realized something else. I, for whatever reason, I don't even know. I've, I've been looking on Disney Plus for this film. It's Warner Brothers. It's HBO Max. That's why I couldn't find it on Disney Plus, people. So, um, yeah, there you go. Links um, for viewing and all of that jazz on the website. So, uh, yeah, that is my thoughts on the 2023 iteration of House Party, people. <laughs>
So, people, I was going back and forth on this one because it's a subject matter that is kind of, you know, creepy as fuck. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to try. So I just checked out The Artifice Girl, which is written and directed by Franklin Rich. Um, it is produced by Aaron B. Kuntz and Ashley Schneed, uh, co-produced by Cameron Burns and Alex Uting, and executive produced by Peter Kopolowski. Alex Korovo handled the music, Britt McTamany, cinematography, Rich also edits the film. Um, and visual effects are from Sandrino Pozanak. Uh, so our cast, well, we have Gareth, who is played by Franklin Rich, and an older version is played by Lance Henriksen. There's Dina. Played by Cinder Nichols, Amos, played by David Girad, Cherry, played by Tatum Matthews. Uh, we've got the funeral home director, played by Ivana Barnes, um, Ilya, played by Alyssa Moody. Um, a younger version of her played by Lucy Knoll. And Ben played by Richard Sessions. So the gist of the film is this. Right? We commence in a dim claustrophobic space devoid of windows where Gareth is brought in for questioning. Two stern looking agents interrogate him for a brute with brute force instilling in him an overwhelming sense of dread. Gareth's interrogation is centered around a highly sensitive project aimed at dismantling the growing network of online pedophiles and predators. The product, the project's methodology whoo, involves using sophisticated technology to ensure ensnare these vile individuals, luring them out into the open. The latest tool in their arsenal is a program called Cherry, a digital nine-year-old girl who frequents chat rooms and participates in live chats. By logging the details of her persistent viewers and the messages they send, Cherry proves to be an incredibly effective decoy. However, something strange and mysterious is happening with Sherry. She appears to have surpassed her initial programming and outgrown her human creators taking on a life of her own. So, yeah, that's the, that's the gist. Now, you know, it, it's... I think we've had a lot of films that have kind of looked at AI and the issues of it, right? And we're also kind of facing that 
in just normal society right now, you know, which makes a lot of these things like Black Mirror and Ex Machina, like just, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is this going to be reality? Uh, are we going to get Terminator, you know? But it's always an interesting thing because we don't precisely know, right? So there are all these questions. And just like other technology, there's going to be pros and cons, right? But it will open us up to new possibilities. So with this film, uh, Rich looks at this, this, you know, one that you think, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? Using AI and creating a model, as you know, they're doing that with films, right? So it's just like using it as a way to catch a predator, as it were, you know? And you think, yeah, that does make sense. Interesting. But then we ask, the questions, is this ethical on the AI, right? So the film is split into these three kind of chapters looking at, like, events and this, you know, new reality in different time periods. You know, we, we've seen films do it, like um, Jobs, Right, that looked at different stages of Steve's life, and other films have done similar things. So, nothing new here, but it was a really good way of telling the story on a limited budget because you know, we're only in three locations, right? So, you're, you're being very smart with your need for sets. Right, and, and the location scouting and all of that, but confining the story to these key elements. You know what I mean? Not trying to bog it down with other stuff. It's just asking these questions. And, you know, you think, yeah, the, a lot of these questions are the things people will be asking. You know, so we get some very good acting, you know, the, the whole interrogation sequence in our first third. I thought that was kind of handled well, you know, similar to other really good, you know, films that have utilized that kind of scene. You know, it's handled in a similar way, done well. You know, the good cop, bad cop, all of that kind of jazz, trying to trip people up get the truth, all of this, but now we throw in some AI, right, so we have this, and I think as we go through different, and we're in these different period, time periods, these different questions do come up, now, I think the questions themselves do make sense, now, we do get things and terms thrown out there, you know, like Uncanny Valley and the Turing Test and all of this kind of stuff. Now, I do feel 
if you're in these settings, right, if it's these people having this conversation, you're not using those terms, right? These are terms that the general public will have an understanding of, right? So I can understand why you're throwing them in there. But when you have people, you know, that understand the field and understand the work that's being done, you talk in different ways, right? So I don't necessarily think that those particular terms would be used. And there are certain things in the conversation that I'm, I'm not, I wasn't fully convinced that the person would be approaching it quite in that way, but it makes sense for the film, right? And trying to maybe bring in everyone, because I think you could go a slightly different direction, and then it's more of a case of people that understand the topic right, Un understand the nature of science and all of that kind of thing, so you, you could alienate people, so I do get it, and it is handled very well, as I say, very good acting, very good acting, especially, I would say, when it comes to young Tatum Matthews, because this character, Cherry, has to pivot, right, has to show the evolution of the AI, so the talking pattern, and just all of this, right, and she does a very good job of that, I would, I would say that the third, the last third is probably the weakest part of the film, although we still get some poignant things asked, right, it, it's just one of those ones where when you're in this world of technology and these leaps have been made, that the tech isn't, it's not universal, right, we still see people in standard wheelchairs, Right, we still see people playing certain games in a certain way, doing things in a certain way, and it's you always feel like, yo, go all out there, right? If we're saying this is what we're doing, right, that tech has got to this point, then throw some different things, right? Throw some other stuff, dude. You know what I mean? We could do that right, when it comes to aging and just all of these things, because we know they're messing with that, right, so if we're saying we've gone this far in the future, why not then go, yeah, this as well, right, this is where we're at, this is what we're doing, but as I said, look, the, 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 the conversation is still interesting in places, it does get a bit verbose, but as a whole, right, as a whole, this is an interesting film. It's just over an hour and a half, right? I don't think it, 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 it felt too long. 
you know, there's definitely bits where you'd be like, oh, I wish they had kind of talked about this or, or, or shown this. But it is just this whole thing around when does AI become sentient, right? What rights would it have? You know, what kind of things could you do or not do? You know, like, if you're asking certain things of AI, then does that not mean you should be open on other things as well? Right? So all of these things are thrown out there and asked. So it does make it very compelling and interesting, people. You know? So I, I think if you've enjoyed those episodes of Black Mirror, you know what I mean? Like the one where, um, oh, my God. Gleason, right? Um, You know, he's the, in the loft, right? That one. Oh, my days. Oh, my days. You know what I mean? Like, um, on the memory one. Like, there was so many of those episodes that kind of fucking with AI and the different things that can happen. Right? So if you've enjoyed those, if you enjoyed Ex Machina, um, there was a film called... Uh, oh, my God. It began with P. Fuck. I forget. Yeah, we covered it during... Um, I think it was the 2020 London Film Festival. Right? Very interesting, very interesting. But um, anyway, if you enjoy those sorts of films, I think, people, that you will find the Artifice Girl, Artifice Girl, extremely compelling, right? It's, um, you know, available on Prime, Apple, just, you know, places where you find films, right? Um, yeah. Give definitely, I would say, give it a watch because it's low budget, but it does a very good job of swerving that, right? And, and giving you a film that doesn't feel like it's low budget, right? It's a, a film that gets down to these key elements. Right, and takes this deep dive and makes you contemplate, makes you think, hmm, yeah, what do I think about this? What would that mean? You know, and we have very good performances from all the cast. So, yeah, if that's what you're looking for, people, that's what you will get with the Artifice Girl. Artifice Girl. I can't speak. But it's a great film. Go check it out. It is time to get crazy, people. We're over at Netflix for an original. It is They Cloned Tyrone. What? Yes, people. So... They cloned Tyrone, right? It's been all the talk lately. And, you know, it's always a little anxious when that happens. Because it's just like, is it going to live up to everything that's getting said? You know what I mean? Is it going to be as good? Well, people, people, people. I can tell you <coughs> that Jewel 
Taylor in his directorial debut. Homie did good, yo. Homie did good. He also co-wrote the film with Tony Rettermeyer. Um, yeah, they both produced the film along with Datari Turner. Uh, we got Stephen Love, uh, Charles D. King, Jamie Foxx, executive produced by Monty Lippman, uh, Jack L. Murray, Kim Roof, Dana Sano, and Mark R. Wright. It is co-executive produced by James Lopez and Poppy Hanks, associate produced by Monette Dubin, Annie, Annie Marie Griggs, right, and it is a line produced by George Parra and Amy S. Kim. Okay, so Pierre Charles and Desmond Murray handled the music. Ken Seng, cinematography. Ciara Hader, she edits the piece. Kim Coleman handled the casting. Franco Giacomo Carbone, production design. Art decoration is Nathan Crockmore and Jesse Rosenfall. Set decoration, we have got our Travis Beck, Sarah Carter, and Sophie Newdorfer. And costume design is Francine Jamison Tanuk. And our cast, well, people, we have got Jamie Foxx as Slick Charles. Tiana Paris as Yo-Yo. Fontaine is played by John Bayorga. We have got The Preacher, played by David Allen Greer. Isaac, played by J. Alphonse Nicholson. Big Moss is Eric B. Robinson Jr. Biddy is Tambali Perry. Junebug is played by Tracy Malachi. We have got Nixon, played by Kiefer Sutherland, who I was looking at during it. I'm thinking, I know that motherfucker. Who is that? It's Kiefer Sutherland, people. Got Crutches, played by Sharif Earp. Frog is played by Leon Lamar. DJ Strangelove is Joshua Mikkel. Uh, we got The Deacon, played by Swift Rice. Megan Sosa is played by Riri. Split Ends is played by Charity Jordan. Um, we have The Chicken Shop Manager, played by David Shea. Right, we have got... Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. <sighs> Dreads is played by Kia Shine. Lou Young is played by Swole. Well, Lou Young plays Swole, motherfucker. The homie, Joel Taylor, makes an appearance. That's probably the main group. 
right? And this is a gist, right? A pulpy sci-fi mystery caper in which an unlikely trio investigates a series of eerie events, alerting them to a nefarious conspiracy lurking directly beneath their hood. Fontaine, a neighborhood drug dealer, is shot dead by a rival, Isaac, and then is shocked to wake up in his bed the next morning unharmed. He and Slick Charles and Yo-Yo begin looking into the incident, and their search eventually leads them to a vast underground complex where a government-backed lab is performing experiments on local black population right now some of that's not true right when um when fontaine is shocked he doesn't wake up and then go hold on this just happened no it, it's brought to light to him by slick charles and yo-yo so this is it's interesting man like it's got the feel of like something like Superfly, right? Those black exploitation films from back in the day, just the way it's lit, you know, the, the, the color gradients, all of that give you that vibe. You know, it's set in modern times, but it's just got this real nice kind of feel to it. The music that is used is just, yo, if you know music, people, you're gonna be smiling and you'll be like, yo, I love that track. Oh, shit. I forgot about it. I haven't played that track in years, yo. You know what I mean? That's the soundtrack. It's, it's pretty damn good. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. But, yeah, we, we have this thing going on. Now, I will say, right, I didn't really give a fuck about Fontaine. You know, we don't really, I didn't really feel we knew enough to care. Right, we didn't know enough about Fontaine to really resonate with that character at the start. You know, I kind of felt more for Yo Yo and Slick Charles. There's, I've just thought, you know, what I mean, the way um, Jamie and the way uh, Tiana played those roles, right? You you kind of cared for the characters a bit more. You know, even though, you know, Slick Charles is a fucking pimp, right? So, yeah, there, there's that. And, I mean, Fontaine's a moody motherfucker too, right? But as this unfolds, and I know this has been put out there in the trailer, and it pretty much, it, it's not necessarily a spoiler, but it's the experiments and everything like that. And it's just that that different thing this film takes, right? They clone Tyrone. I think the title makes you envision a sci-fi film, right? Now, this is sci-fi. It's fantasy. You know what I mean? You can't fuck with clones and be like, yeah, no, this is... This is just everyday drama, right? No, no, no. It's definitely that. But as I said, right, the title could make you think like, um, I don't know, like a Westworld type of thing, uh, invasion of the body snatchers, uh, you know, something, right? A, a scroll war, <laughs> you know what I mean, as it were, you know? Like, this ain't the Mandalorian. 
You know what I mean? This isn't the new republic. They'd be cloning people. No, 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 no. This is something else, right? And I think the, the interesting thing about this is it plays on conspiracy theories without it being this kind of really forced narrative, like just, I wasn't going to say over the top, isn't it? It's crazy. Like, but the way it's handled is if this is everyday shit. This is something that, yo, we just discovered. You know, it's not played like this sensationalism kind of thing. So when you know your history, right, all the things that have gone down, you know, like uh, having, um, was it? Oh, it's freeway Rick Ross, right? I think, you know, it's Rick Ross. I felt it was freeway at the start. Freeway Rick Ross. You know, the CIA used him to pump crack into the black neighborhoods, right? It, it's why there's liquor stores all over the place. You know, all of these things the government did to disrupt, right, to disrupt and control, this is all fact, you know what I mean, don't look at me and be like, yo, you're making that shit up, Ugh, what are you doing, no, this is all fact, people, if you don't know, do some fucking research, people, you know what I mean, I can't hold your hands through everything, but yeah, we know these things happened, we know there's so many so many cases of, you know, experimentation, you know, drugs and things like the Tuskegee um, Airman experiment is like one of the biggest known. It's not the only one, right? It's not the only one. So we know these things happen. So when we have all of this stuff play out in this film, it feels real. Right? And that's just the way it's happened. I mean, the only thing that you go, hmm, is like the bases and stuff like that. And the hiding up of the bases. Because, you know, there's one occasion you'd be like, I don't know if that could happen that quickly. I mean, I feel it could happen. I don't know if it could happen that quickly, you know? But, um, yeah, it's a really interesting film. It's, it's, I thought it's handled really well. I did, the only thing really was towards the end, right? There's, there's a bit, and I'm just like, no, right? I was just thinking people would have clocked on a whole lot sooner. You can't be in a certain place unannounced. And no one noticed, especially when you consider the setup and everything these motherfuckers got, right? It's just like, yo, come on now. They, they, they would have been blown so much. Well, they just would have been blown, right? And then, I, yeah, just some of the things that go down in that bit. Right, so that's a little crazy. And then the galvanization at the end. A little, you know, you have to think, mm, I don't know. Now, not to say it couldn't happen, 
right? But you need that big thing. Because when you look at the pandemic, like George Floyd, you know, Aubrey Arbab, it just, you know, all of the horrendous things that happened, which aren't new things. This should be happening all the time. But it was those, right, that were the things to get everyone to stand together for the most part, right? That was a thing. So you just think, yo, they need a thing. And the thing was the thing that's hidden. But at the time, no one knew. So, yeah, it was just that. It was those, those, just those little things. Those were the only real things that I was a bit like, hmm. Other than that, this film, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was put together really well. I, I enjoyed the fuck out of it, you know, just because, hey, it's, as I said, it's sci-fi, it's fantasy, right? It's not real, but it still makes you think, right? still makes you think. And I did like the fact there was some Hollow Man references up in the joint because I feel Hollow Man is a slept on film. You know what I mean? I thought that was a slept on film. So I was like, yeah. And also the lift scene, the singing in the lift, because yeah, you'd be like, yeah, that, 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 that could definitely happen. I, I see motherfuckers be nervous and doing that shit. So that was fun. You know, it's on Netflix, people. So definitely worth a watch. Definitely worth a watch, you know. And I would be curious to know what you think. So be sure to let me know. They cloned Tyrone. Yeah, go get it. And as I said, it's Jewel Taylor's feature directorial debut. What a motherfucking film to come out of the gates with, right? What a motherfucking film to come out of the gates with. I think uh, we're going to see that name a lot. So, yes, they clone Tyrone. It's out. Now you go get you some. Next up, we have a 1977 war flick. The studio can now have remastered. It is Cross of Iron. Okay, so this came about thanks to Olivia Jarvis, right? So, um, yeah, she sent me across uh, an old film. <laughs> this isn't a new one, right? This was Cross of Iron, okay? It is directed by Sam Peckinpah, written by Julius J. Epstein, Walter Kelly, and James Hamilton. It's adapted from Willie Heinrich's book of the same name. The film is produced by Alex Wintiski, Arlene Sellers, Wolf C. Hartwig, Executive produced by Lou Grade, um, co-produced by Lofa H. Kreischer, and associate produced by Pat Duggan. Ernst Gold handles the music. John 
Quinlan Cinematography, Herbert Tashkner, Murray Jordan, Tony Lawson, and Michael Ellis were on editing duties. Production design is Ted Horworth and Brian Auckland Snow. Veljko Despotkvik handled the art direction. Hair and makeup, we've got Evelyn Dohoring and Colin Arthur. Production management is Detour Noob. Um, and our cast. Well, we have got uh, Sergeant Rolf Steiner, played by James Coburn. Uh, Captain Hauptmann Stransky is played by Maximilian Schell. Uh, Colonel Oberst Brandt is played by James Mason. Captain Hampton Kiesel is played by David Warner. Uh, Corporal Kruger, I think, is played by Klaus Lutsk. Uh, Private Gefrit uh, Kern is played by Vadim Klauner. Lieutenant Treyberg is played by Robert Fix. Um, we got Corporal Schoenbrett played by Fred Stillcroft. Right. Uh, Zol is played by Arthur Bruce. Eva is played by Senta Berger. Um, I mean, there's a load of other people. I was soldiers and whatnot. Now, the gist of this is, in 1943, on the Russian front, decorated leader Rolf Steiner is promoted to sergeant after another successful mission. Meanwhile, upper-class, arrogant Persian captain Hauptmann Stransky is assigned as the new commander of his squad. After a bloody battle of Steiner's squad against the Russian troops led by the brave Lieutenant Meyer, who dies in combat, the coward Stransky claims that he led his squad against the Russian and request to be awarded with the Iron Cross to satisfy his personal ambition together with that of his arist aristocratic family. Stransky gives the names of Steiner and of his homosexual lieutenant, Treberg, as a witness of his accomplishment. But Steiner, who has problems with the army's chain of command, and with Stransky's arrogance, refuses to participate in the fraud. When Colonel Brandt gives the order to leave the position in the front, Stransky does not ret uh, retransmit the order to Steiner's quad, and they are left alone, surrounded by the enemy, and have to fight to survive. 
whoa, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Now, you might be like, why the fuck are you looking at a 1977 film? Well, simple people, because Studio Canal have reissued, right? They've done a stunning 4K restoration, right? Which will be coming out on UHD Steelbook, Blu-ray, and DVD with new bonus material and all of that jazz, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a whole heap of behind-the-scenes footages, footage even. And did you know Orson Welles described this as one of the greatest anti-war films ever made, right? And watching it, yeah, this is, oh, I, you know what I mean? Now, I say this a lot, but I had no clue what the fuck to expect from this. Right, because you've, I think we, we've all seen war films, right? And the way they tell the story, sometimes, you know, it's disillusioned soldiers, right? But there's this message of, you know, there's this running through kind of thing. Sometimes it's like the vitriol, right? To claim that this war was a righteous war and everything. This, this is just some bleak ass shit, this is not pretty, this is horrendous, the amount of just atrocities that we see, just the death, the explosions, you know, people just being sent across, it's, oh, it's dark as fuck, man, it really is, it's so just like, yo, and the other, you know, the other big thing here, it's the, um, it's the, the, the lies, right? The lies for advancement. As mentioned, Stransky is making these claims, making these claims. And you're, you're seeing it and how he's got these other soldiers on his side, right, there's this bit where he's talking to a couple of low-down soldiers, and basically being like, yo, there's no women, so what are you prepared to do, you know what I mean, and he gets these two, two guys, one older, one young, one young kid, to be like, oh, I mean, yeah, whatever you want, bro. you know what I mean, which is just like, yo, but we see this, and it's just like, you know, over the years, things have come out about, you know, the dishonesty, the lies, the cheating, right? The, the abuse of power. So you're watching this, and you're just being like, yeah, obviously this happened. But then you start to think, how much of this happened, right? How many people got awarded medals like the Iron Cross and the equivalent, you know, I think there was a, a uh, it's a cross of George or something, St. George's Cross, something like that over here, right, but how many people got that shit who did not deserve it, 
right? Who hid and lied about what they did. Because we see people do it in the boardroom, right? We see managers take credit for work they did not do. So it's just chilling, chilling to see this, right? And then just the things that Stransky will do to get what he wants. So there's that. But then, on top of all of this, right, on top of just the death and destruction, people getting blown up, you know, we see shell shock, and we see that. We see, like, the the way um, women, you know, got it, right? Those sorts of things. The, the, the fact that, you know, the Russians were using women as, as soldiers, right? And, again, that's something that must have happened all over the spot, right? But we're just seeing these different situations and the way certain people act in these situations. It's just, yeah, not nice, not pretty. It's chilling. It, it, it was grim, fucking grim. But the other interesting thing was when people get injured and taken off the front line, sent to hospital, right, how they cope with that situation right, the need to go back, even though you could be gone, you, you've got a pass, You're, you, you've been wounded, you could go home, and how some people, there's nothing else, right, that's the identity, if they're not doing that, what else are they doing, even then, right, they've gone back by choice, but you can see they don't love the army. They hate the army. They hate the, the bureaucracy. But they're back. They went back. And you're just baffled. Right? It is crazy. And although this is a film, these are things we know have happened. Right? We've had anecdotal, you know what I mean? Footage, information, reports that so many people did this, right? And that's the thing with everything that we see. It's backed up by history, you know? So you, you're watching this, this feature, this film, and it's just, it's not glorious, you know? It's not glorious at all, right? So when Orson Welles says this is one of the best anti-war films, you can see why, right? Like, we're dealing with the Germans, you know? So it's, you know, you're watching the Germans against the Russians, and it's just like, huh, right? Germans, obviously, we know what happened in the war. We also know there's a load of people fighting that did not, really have a choice, you know, it was either join the army or die, you know, but it's just like, are we rooting for Germans, like, in the war, like, what the fuck, and the Russians weren't, you know, what I mean, they did some crazy shit, so we're seeing all of this, and, you know, certain things, you can see why 
someone would feel justified doing it, you know? It's just a crazy situation. It's being stuck behind enemy lines. The way this is told is so visceral, right? It, you, you do feel like you're watching real footage. You know, it, it's just crazy. This whole thing is crazy. So well done. So well done, right? The, 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 when you compare it to modern, some modern war films, this is better. You know, this is better for sure. So I think, it, you know, if you enjoy history, right? If you enjoy that look at, you know, this horrendous time, Right, seeing how different people coped and handled that situation, then Cross of Iron, people, that's the film for you. That's the film for you. So on um, Monday the 31st, that is when you will be able to own this, right, as mentioned, on um, Steelbook, Blu-ray, or DVD. So, you know, with these new features, which will be available on the Steelbook, Blu-ray, and DVD, you've got audio commentary by filmmaker and film historian Mike Siegel. You know, there is... Um, ooh, let's try and... New promoting Steiner... Um, Thing. There's a new Steiner on the set, new filming Steiner, part one and two. You know, there's on location with Sam Peckinpah, right? On location with James Coburn, um, on location with Maximilian Schell. Uh, the same with James Marsden, Dave Warner. Um, these are on, those features are only available on the Steelbook and the Blu-ray. You know, um, actually, all of the ones just mentioned are avail only available on the Steelbook and Blu-ray. I think the commentary is on all three. Okay, so there's the Passion and Poetry, Sam Peckinpah's War. Um, that's on the Steelbook and the Blu-ray. So, yeah, there's all of these features and more, people, and more. So, yeah, on the 31st, you can own all of that. Uh, the links for all three are on the website. So, um, yeah, drop by and, yeah, pick yourself up a steelbook, a Blu-ray, or a DVD of the 1977 classic, Cross of Iron. Now we've got a new Entertainment Squad joint, which is dropping on the 1st of August. It's time for Rob. Okay, so my people's at Entertainment Squad hit me with this new indie joint. Okay, so it is called Rub. Um, I wondered why, but 
I feel that point gets clear probably about 20 minutes in, you know what I mean? Maybe a little bit earlier. It is written and directed by Christopher Fox, who also produces. It's executive produced by Antonine Allen and Charlie Comparetto. Remy Litvin, line produces. Nick Bohan handled the music. Bobby Sansevero, cinematography. Hair and makeup, we have Amanda Durant and Cassidy McGregor. Joseph Watson is on sound. Um, our cast, well, people, we have got Micah Speyer as Neil, Jennifer Figueredo as Perla. Uh, we got Wesley Barrington Atope as West. Trevor is played by PJ Landers. Right, the um, hotel clerk is played by Anthony Zenhauser. Alex Anderson is Steve. Inna Yezelskaya is Olga. Um, Mib is played by Chris Kamaja, right? Um, Neil's boss is played by Mood Sabra. Uh, Tiffany is played by Nicole Ruttiglinia. Um, Samantha is played by Tara Nicole. Nuna is played by Andre M. Harris. Detective Bryant is played by Stephen Strickland. And Detective Miller is played by Rob Figueroa. Um, Doug is played by Michael Mazzilio. Olivia is played by Olivia Larson. Ashley is played by Carol Bash, right? Sandy is played by Amelia Sussons. That's probably our main, uh, our main group. Okay, so um, the gist of the story. Okay, so Neil and every man who hates his life, his job, and his love life which is going about as well as someone jumping out of a plane without a parachute, right? At the suggestion of co-worker, he goes to a massage parlor for something more personal than a shoulder rub. It's here where Neil meets Perla, a young woman who shows him the intimacy he's been craving for so long. Right? Hence the title, Rub. You know what I mean? However, Neil's life comes crashing down when he saves Perla from a group of thugs. They suddenly find themselves outrunning the law in order to survive. In the process, the pair meet an eclectic group of characters and discover what it really means to love. <laughs> 
All right. So, um, yeah, that is the gist of the film, people. So um, this was definitely an interesting one, right? Definitely an interesting one. Um, you know, I think we look at a lot of different themes, right? A lot of different themes. And Fox had the following to stay, right? The story of Bonnie and Clyde always intrigued me as a young boy, all the way to being an adult. The opposites attract love story of two youths on the run from the authorities and family oppression is a classic movie trope. Romeo and Juliet, you know what I mean? Queen and Slim. But Rub is not just a story about opposites attract running from the law. It's a story about how two people from completely different sides of society spectrum can help each other more than they ever knew. I approach this story with a heavy heart to tackle the topic of male inadequacy, along with the underlying tone of human trafficking which plagues the underbelly of our society. I wanted to tell a story that was gritty, genuine and realistic, but with a sense of purpose that if one gets caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, it can have unalterable consequences to change one's life forever. Hmm. That is very true, right? Very true. And there's a thing, right? So the film definitely is dealing with, you know, male loneliness, you know? Um, and I think Fox mentioned somewhere else that coming out of the pandemic, all of these kind of feelings and emotions seem to be very palpable. So that makes sense. You know, we start off with Neil, um, you know, giving us a voiceover. You know, basically, it's like love is all around me, but I have no one, right? And he's looking, he's on the computer, on a dating website. And yeah, it, it, you know, it's tough. It can be tough. You can, you know, feel ostracized. Right? All these work colleagues seem to have Neil as the butt of their jokes, right? And that's not a good thing. But I think another thing that really kind of jumped out to me with this was, what are you actually looking for? You know? What are you actually looking for? Like, when he's on the dating site, it's, like, we don't really get a sense of, yo, this is the, because, you know, the, the girl that we see him clicking on, there's not a whole heap on, the, on, on a page, right? There's a, a, a short paragraph which doesn't really mention any likes or wants you know, doesn't mention that. It's just something like, I've been around a block, but I haven't found my person. I know you're out there. 
you know, it's just something generic like that, but it's not, yo, these are the type of movies I like, I like to read, I like to go for walks, I'm a cinema fan, I'm a, nothing like that, so you think, what are you looking for, Neil, because he's, you know, trying to run through a date in his head, and, you know, lines he's going to drop, and the way he's talking, as if this is the one, so, you know, a big thing that did really seem to be there was, yeah, what are you looking for? And, you know, are we doing things just because, right? Just because of the fear of being alone, right? The fear of being left out, right? Having nothing to talk about at the water cooler, essentially, you know, if everyone's talking about, oh, yeah, me and, my, me and my partner, me and my girl, me and my dude, you know, we did this this weekend. Oh, yeah, we're planning this holiday. Oh, we're getting married. We're all of this going on and you have nothing to say. So what? Yeah. What do you do? Right. How badly do you want something to say? You know, because. If you are looking for the right person, there's no time limit on that. So you're not rushing it, right? It, it's just taking things as they come. And it might be quick. It might take a long time, right? Or do you just want something now, you know? I mean, there are big questions that seem to be there. And especially when we look at the actions of Neil and Perla, you know, you do like scratch your head a little. You do kind of go, okay, now, what are the motivations here? You know what I mean? So, yeah, we, we, we see him go. And I think there's definitely a lot of rage in Neil, right? We, we see it when he's getting mocked at work, and it's like, there's, there's simple outs, right, he's getting teased about something, and there's no actual proof, it's just hearsay, so instead of just being like, yeah, nice one, I was actually doing this, or I was, you know, he goes into a rage, and it's just like, yo, Neil, chill, son, you know what I mean? Just chill, right? We don't really get a, a, a kind of handle on how old Neil is. You know, like he did mention that he lost his virginity at 17. But I think also in that story, we do get a sense of who he is because he's just... Yeah, he mentioned something that happened, and you're like, wait, you're 17 now, son? Why? How, how did you get that reaction from what you saw? That's kind of crazy, you know? So it, it speaks to someone who is very isolated, you know? Very isolated, a late bloomer, a late developer, Right, so so someone that is immature when it comes to these sorts of emotions, which again very apparent, 
very apparent. But the, the loneliness, right, the shame, all of these things are definitely there. You definitely feel those, you know, from the way he's interacting. He's playing video games in his underwear, right? He's talking himself in the mirror. It's kind of bleak in Neil's existence. It really is. Oh, my days, man. It really is. But, yeah, it's there. You feel it, you know? And you do feel that that relief, right, when he visits the um, massage parlor. You feel that relief when he when he's there with Perla. But again, also, there is that this way. He tries to, you know, do something at the beginning of that visit. And I feel that tells you a lot, right? That tells you a lot about Neil. So, you know, when all of this starts to go down and unravel... It's definitely interesting watching what happens, right? Seeing how this connection grows, right? What their next steps are, all of that kind of jazz, right? It's interesting. It's definitely interesting. I do think it gets a little squirrely at dinner, right? From that point on, things definitely go off the rails a little bit. Well, they go off the rails for everyone involved. I think story-wise, it becomes a little looser, right? It, it, it doesn't seem as tight or, yes, this all makes sense. Now, you can definitely get the actions, but I think there's a lot of other stuff going down, right, there's a lot of other stuff going down, um, which is like, hmm, okay, right, you, you're asking a few more questions about, okay, but how is this, hmm, okay, and how do we get to that, right, I think that ha starts to happen a little bit more at the end, but yeah, I think it's definitely one of those, it's an ending that although I feel it, it, it could have been a little bit more, right, just on the emotions and just all of that kind of thing, but it, it, it's an ending that I feel made sense for the film. Right, that for everything that's gone down, what we've seen these characters do, the ending makes sense. So, um, yeah, there you go, people. Rub will be dropping on the 1st of August, right? So that's Tuesday, people, Tuesday. Um, wherever you get your videos, your videos on demand, wherever you get those, that's where you'll find this, Okay. So, um, yeah, there you go, people. We get, um, yeah, it's an interesting story. The music definitely helps with the mood. In Not the mood, but, like, the tension, 
right? It, it, it's utilized like that. We get some good performances, of, like on the emotional front, you know? So, um, you know, they do say, right? They get, and I like this, um, because a lot of times you have to think, you're trying to think of what is this kind of, you know, the reference points, right? So they reckon true romance, requiem for a dream, and he has a, he was a quiet man. Those are the film references that they're saying. So if you like those films, you'll possibly like this one. You know, there's definitely some parallels to Queen and Slim, you know? But yeah, people, Rub, 1st of August. And I mean, the questions you need to ask, yeah, what are you looking for in life, right? What are you prepared to put in there? And are you emotionally ready, right? They're the questions you need to ask, the questions Neil should have been asking, you can find out on the first with Rob. Okay, people, so we're drawing to a close of another episode, a fat episode, right? But before we bounce, Let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film, shall we? So the new Teenage the teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles joint, Mutant Mayhem, that's dropping in a week, I feel, right? But Paramount and Nickelodeon are so psyched about it that um, they have greenlit a sequel and a TV series. So um, if you are looking forward to those turtles in a half shell, you will be getting a whole lot more people. So yeah, there you go. Now, obviously, look, so many things are being delayed, right? And poor things. It was rumored that it might, and now it's been confirmed. You know, so um, yeah. It will go from September the 8th to December the 8th, right? So that will be happening. Um, also, a few other things that are jumping around on the schedule. So there is Cassandro, the um, Gal Garcia Barrera biopic, right? That... Um, is moving from, well, it's coming on the 15th, but then jumping to uh, Prime Video on the 22nd of September. Um, there is Ernst and, Ernst and Celestine, a trip to Gibertia? I don't know. I can't pronounce the word, people. Right, that's going to be dropping on the 1st of September now. Um, do, do, do. What else is there? Uh, oh, yes. There is um, Drive Away Dolls, the new Ethan um, Cohen film. 
right? It was meant to drop on the 22nd of September, but yeah, it is no longer on the um on that day, right? So um yeah, it doesn't have a new day as of yet. So we will see what happens with that one. You know, yeah, everything's a little swirly at the moment, people, which is not a surprise, right? It's not a surprise. There's going to be a whole heap more of this shit going down. Um, so we're getting um, Universal's video game adaptation of Five Nights at Freddy's. And that is going to be a PG-13 feature. Right, so I think that's a 12A over here. I think that's a 12A, maybe it's a 15. I feel it's a 12A though. So, um, yeah, if you were looking forward to that, now that's the lowdown. Now, obviously, with Barbie, you know, I mean, doing gangbusters numbers, right? Mattel have set in place a whole load of things, which I think we mentioned recently. So there's Barney. Um, gosh, what else is there? There is... Um, to do do doing Polly Pocket, right? <laughs> it all sounds kind of bonkers. It's Hot Wheels, you know what I mean? Some of this stuff is just like, what? Rock'em Sock'em Robots is coming, right? An American Girl, Major Matt Mason, which I don't even think we got over here, right? Uno is getting one, Viewmaster. Yeah, it's all kind of crazy. It's all kind of crazy. We'll see what happens, you know? Will they strike lightning in the bottle twice? That's the question. Now, with, um, you know, the whole DC rebooting and everything, some people are coming back, some aren't. Um, Zachary Levi is not sure what the fuck is going on. Right? He recently said, I don't know what the future holds for it. All because, unfortunately, the second movie was not as well received. The audience score is still quite good, but the critic score was very oddly and perplexingly low, and people were insanely unkind. I've been a part of things, and as much as I wish they were good, I know that they're okay. I know that they miss a lot, and I'm not saying Shazam Fury of the Gods is some perfect, awesome, Orwellian-like masterpiece, but it's a good damn movie. I think even just the world from the first movie to the second movie, the world has shifted so much. Social media has shifted so much. Hate online um, and haters and trolls and factions and all that has just gotten more galvanized in its toxicity. I think there are People who genuinely, unfortunately, want to destroy certain projects because they don't like them, or they don't like me, or they don't like other people involved in them, or whatever. I have no idea where we go from here. I just hope that 
all believe that history will show. It will be one of those things that people will go back, people will watch Fury of the Gods on home streaming or on a plane or whatever, and it will be this movie that they heard so much shit about, and then they'll be like, well, wait a minute. So, yeah. Ah, we will see. We will see what happens. So, Sound of Freedom is, you know, buzzing. Buzzing, right? So, um, yeah, it's just got its global dates. It's going to be hitting South Africa on the 18th of August. The 24th of August, it's Oceania, Australia and New Zealand. Um, Mexico and Latin America, it gets on the 31st of August, and um, UK and Ireland on the 1st of September, while Spain has to wait until the 11th of October. But yeah, film is spreading, people. So if you've been waiting for that one, there you go. Now, June part two. From all accounts, it is not shifting, and especially because it seems to have been um, got itself a huge run on IMAX screens, right? It's um, reported to be showing for about five to six weeks, which is pretty fucking huge, right? Pretty huge. So, yeah. If you want to see it, you're going to be able to see it on the big old screen, people. And we'll end on this one because, boy, I've loved these books, right? So, um, David Cornwell, a.k.a. John Le Carey, is getting a documentary about his life. It's going to be called The Pigeon Tunnel. And um, Errol Morris is the director behind it, right? So, um, yeah, Le Carey, he was a spy. He was an actual spy, right? Worked at MI5 and MI6, you know? And then after he retired, he became a best-selling author, right? If you just read the George Smiley books, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy being one of the classics, you know what I mean? Like the night manager got a, 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 a TV series. So many of these other stuff has been adapt, adapted to the small and big screen. The Constant Gardener, right? A Most Wanted Man, Taylor of Panama. Man, you know what I mean? So freaking good, right? So good. So, um, yeah, the documentary will be coming to Apple TV on the 20th of October, right? So, um, yeah, mark it in the calendars, people, because it, I imagine it's going to be fucking great. But that is us. We are done for another week. Stay, keep an eye out for more Fantasia coverage, Right, it's embargoes and all of that that has slowed it down, but more is coming your way. So, until then, people, enjoy your film watching. 
Peace.